Blog Talk Radio. It's called the silly season because you always see something silly. 2016's version looked a lot like the not-so-silly season. That has changed. More confirmed rumors this week and even more news potentially in the future. We also took a glimpse into 2017. It's Talking in Circles. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with SpeedwayMedia.com's John Harlow. As we bring you another episode of Talking in Circles. We hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving Day weekend as we move through the month of November into December, and the news is not lacking. We are just 88 days away from the drop of the green flag in the Daytona 500. We are about 80 days away from what is now called the, quote, the clash at Daytona. We'll discuss that a little bit later. So this offseason is short. But we've got a lot of news coming up and some more news this week. We'll discuss that. You can help us discuss anything on the show, 917-889-8280. You can call that any time during the show, and we will put you on the air. First of all, John, let's talk about some of these rumors here. The first one that came up this weekend, this week, was a Monday announcement that Ty Dillon is moving to the Spring Cup Series in 2017. It's been rumored for a while. And now it's official. Ty Dillon will drive the number 13 Geico Chevrolet for Jermaine Racing, run for Rookie of the Year in the NASCAR Cup Series, almost said Spring Cup, in the NASCAR, it might not even be, I should say this, run for Rookie Premier of the Year series. in NASCAR's Premier Series, exactly. Uh, Dillon has one win in his last three years in the Xfinity Series for Richard Childress Racing, a Cup-affiliated team. Um, what were your thoughts when you initially heard that Ty Dillon's moving to the Cup Series for Jermaine Racing in 2017. Well, I mean, like we both said, it's probably been the worst-kept secret. It was just a matter of where Ty Dillon was going to end up because basically he said in July, I'm running the, I'm running the, the Premier Series next year, and Pawpaw will make it happen. Let's look at the math. Richard Childress has three charters, and all three drivers are back. Ryan Newman brings – I mean, Caterpillar – likes Ryan Newman, so they stayed with him. Menard brings Menards. He's staying there. And Big Brother Austin's already locked into the three. So Richard didn't feel like putting another car in-house, so he went to one of the people he provides engines and chassis to and says, okay, my grandson needs a ride. Who's going to hook up? Hook him up. And I bet it took a while because, I mean, part of it, because we discussed it last week, the Casey Mears had a three-year contract where Geico and Jermaine Racing were tied in. Mm-hmm. And it probably took a lot of work, and that's why it took so long, because we thought in August that this was going to be announced. And it probably took that long to finally buy Casey Mears out of his contract, because he probably would have done an Elliott Sadler whenever he was uh, at Everham and said, hey, I have this ride. I have a contract. I'm going to sue you for breach of contract. Gillette Everham didn't have the money because Gillette was a fraud, so Elliot Sadler ran the rest of the year. And that probably right. what Casey Mears and Jermaine was battling with. 
I really don't see a difference between Casey Mears and Ty Dillon, other than the fact that Ty Dillon is Richard Childress's grandson. He yeah, hasn't done bring anything exciting in the Xfinity series. Right. I don't know what he brings other than the fact that Richard Childress is his grandfather. Well, I think what he brings for the, for Jermaine Racing, I think this makes sense because I think this is going to be a fourth RCR car, hypothetically a fourth RCR car, like we see with Furniture Racing this year when they went to Joe Gibbs Racing and they were basically considered a fifth Joe Gibbs Racing car. They're getting extremely a lot more uh, technical support from Richard Childress Racing. They obviously get their engines from Richard Childress Racing. Their pit crew is going to be with Richard Childress Racing as well. Booty Barker's there, who's a Jermaine Racing guy, and that's that's an interesting person here because I like Booty Barker. I think he's a very good crew chief, but he's not one of the hand-picked guys from Richard Childress Racing, and I think Jermaine might have said, hey, you can get anybody you want. We'll replace the driver, but he's our crew chief. Booty's been here since the beginning. He knows what he's doing. He's our guy. We want to kind of keep him in our fold. But, listen, there's a lot of pressure on Ty Dillon this year because if that is a fourth RCR car, which I'm told and I heard on the radio this afternoon, it basically is, then you expect to see that team improve for 2017. Um, I know Ty Dillon's a rookie going into this season, and Casey Mears is is an established veteran and has been running on these tracks for a while, but Casey Mears was 28th in points this year. He did not have a great year in that car this year. I don't know whether it was the drive. I don't think it was the driver. I just think that team in general just struggled. And I think that opened up the opportunity for Ty Dillon to take this ride. Because if you remember correctly, last season, Ty was looking for a ride as well, and this wasn't an option. Obviously, it wasn't an option. But Casey Mears was coming off a very good season. He finished 23rd in points that year. Everything was looking good. Now, Mears struggles a little bit, and they get him out of the ride and put Ty in it. I expect a, a major improvement from this team in 2017, even though Ty is a rookie. Will he win a race? Probably not. He's a rookie driver. We haven't seen a rookie win in a long, long time. Um, but listen, this is a guy who, again, he brings a ton of support here, and I expect him to at least compete for the chase in 2017. Is that an unfair assessment, John? Oh, I think it's way unfair. Um, Richard's Childress Racing struggled all year. I mean, Paul Menard was not good. He's on his third crew chief now because they've got Matt Borland in. Newman struggled. He was a 15th to 20th place car all year. The only car that ran halfway decent was Slugger Labby and Austin Dillon in the three. And they finished outside of the top 16. There was no nothing spectacular until the last maybe right around chase time, just before it, Childress came out with new chassis. And they picked up. They ran better in the chase races. But still, Ty Dillon's a rookie. He ran some in Tony Stewart's car this year where he was in really good equipment. And he was okay. Nothing great. Nothing spectacular. He finished sixth at Talladega because he missed the big wreck. But other than that, nothing to write home about. He's in that ride because he's Richard Childress' grandson. Kevin Harvick was right four years ago. When the Silver Spoons were coming up, he knew it was time to get out of RCR. The only reason Paul Menard's still there is because he's got Daddy's Billions behind him. Newman's there because Newman's a good driver. He just hasn't had great equipment, and that's the best ride that's available out there is a 31, so he stayed at Childress. 
I don't think it's anything to write home about. Casey Mears, I feel bad for him because he wasn't getting an RCR car, which Ty Dillon's going to get. And everybody's going to look at Ty right. Dillon. If he runs 25th, they're going to say, oh, he was better than Casey. Well, he's got better equipment. And exactly. I well, feel bad for Booty Barker because he's just sitting there waiting to be replaced. I'm surprised mm-hmm. that Todd Parrott didn't come with the deal because Todd Parrott went to the 95 whenever children were providing support for them and when Ty was driving the car. That's when they put Todd, or Todd Parrott over at the 95. I bet Booty Barker's out of there 10 races into the season. If they struggle, for sure. I think uh, that is something that, again, I think Jermaine Racing wanted to keep him there because he's sort of their guy. Uh, but let's let, you know. Let's talk about Casey Mears for a second. And I saw a lot of things on Twitter kind of killing him this year for what he did. And listen, he didn't have a good year this year. That team struggled, no doubt about it. I don't think anybody would hide under hide underneath that and say that they did have they did have a good year because I think they really struggled. But Casey Mears helped build this team, put, put this team to another another level. When he got there, if people remember correctly, that team was starting and parking every weekend with Max Pappas and missing races. When Casey Mears got there, he helped kind of create some legitimacy there. And the team started to run pretty good. They didn't start and park anymore. And they started to run and improved on their finishes a lot. And that 23rd place finish last year in points looked at and went, that was pretty darn good last year. And they struggled this year. And like I said, he's out of a ride. But I do feel bad for him because it sounded like this kind of came out of the, the blue when they started to struggle a little bit this year. And he had a multi-year deal here, and it just seemed like he wasn't—he was almost irreplaceable because they really liked Casey. But obviously, that didn't happen. And I think the fact that they're going to get more RCR support, and that puts made the decision easy for them to do it. But again, I feel bad for Casey Mears in that in that way. You know, again, he helped build the team to another level over there at Jermaine Racing. This was a Truck Series team who had won a lot of championships with Todd Bodine. They moved to the Xfinity Series. They consolidated everything and went cup racing um, with Max Pappas, if you remember correctly. And, again, it was a lot of starting and parking. Max struggled a lot in the cup series. He got a little bit better as it went on, but when they brought in somebody who was a little bit more established race car driver, um, a guy who knew what he was really doing behind the wheel of a cup car, it seemed like that team just took off and went to another level. And Casey Mears deserves some credit for that. Um, They wouldn't be where they are today and have this opportunity to align with Richard Childress and be sort of a fourth Richard Childress racing car without the help Casey Mears gave them and without the performance Casey Mears did. So with that respect, I feel bad because right when this team has an opportunity to, what you could argue, at least be consistent and run up in the top ten every week, Casey Mears is out of there. So that's kind of frustrating for Casey Mears because he helped build that team again from nothing to something. So absolutely, John, I feel bad for Casey Mears. The one thing I look at it when you think about the Ty Dillon move to Jermaine Racing in the 13, there are some really, really, really good drivers out there who are looking for rides. Alex Bowman, in Junior's car, ran great. I mean, you look at that Phoenix race, take away a caution flag, he could have won it. He led the most laps. He was great. The wreck that he was in with Kenseth was not his fault. And even Kenseth said, hey, I came down on him. My bad. Wasn't his fault. He ran great. He's sitting there with no ride next year. You look at Regan Smith. He is a solid driver. 
top five Xfinity guy whenever he was with Junior Motorsports, always happened to be right before the cusp of anything. He was making Furniture Row respectable, and then Kurt Busch came in and took it a step higher. He goes to Junior Motorsports, does well with it, moves over to Tommy Baldwin Racing, and that's a team that's going away. But at Junior Motorsports, he set the precedence. Justin Allgaier came in, same car. He's in the chase this year. So Regan Smith's a really good driver, sitting there, nothing, nowhere to go. There are other drivers who could be in there that have more talent, have more um, background than Ty Dillon. Or, you know, yeah, Ty Dillon. I don't see Ty Dillon making any kind of a difference, and they're going to be a 25th place car at best at the end of the year. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here on Talking Circles. You know, it's frustrating, I'm sure, if you're a fan of teams that are sort of on their own and independent, but listen, you have to get, you have to align now. If you're single, especially if you're a single corporation, you have to align with a big time team. And, and I think Jermaine Racing saw that this year, that they were a single corporation and they were getting beat that way. And I just, I don't think what Casey Mears, I don't think it was Casey Mears this year. I just think the team, again, realized they're a single corporation. They had a little bit of alliance with Richard Childress, but they were sort of on their own. Now they're going to be tucked away in Richard Childress, they're going to build it. The chassis and engines are going to come out of their shop directly, um, and they're basically going to be fourth RCR car. And you, you have to say that that was a good move for the team, but we'll see how it plays out for Ty Dillon. Um, crazier things have happened. We've seen crazy drivers who have, who have done better in an opportunity like this, but it certainly is curious because the guy only won uh, one Xfinity race in three years with a Richard Childress racing car. Now, whether or not the team needed – wasn't where they needed to be. Who knows? Wasn't where they needed to be for Ty Dillon in the Xfinity Series. That could contribute to it, but those are the stats and those are the facts straight up. But again, you know, I think Ty might, ha- might for the first time uh, have to prove himself here because it seemed like these kids had a plan laid out for him. The two years in trucks and two years Xfinity, and then they were going to go to the Cup. That was the plan Austin was on and Austin went to the Cup after two years in Xfinity. That was the plan Ty was on, but it got a little bit delayed because you couldn't find a ride for him last year. And now we ran three years in Xfinity and got the Cup. I think these kids knew automatically, no matter how they performed, they were going to go to the Cup Series. Now's an opportunity for them to really prove themselves and really sit there and go, you know what? There's people out there who don't think I belong in this ride. And now it's an opportunity to go out there and say, hey, I, I belong in this ride. And I'd like to see Ty Dillon show me something for sure for 2017. Ty Dillon wasn't the only young driver, John, to uh, have his plans come into to play to a little bit of a focus here in 2017. Now, we don't know the number. Uh, we don't know the sponsor for 2017 for Chris Buescher, but now we know the team. It was rumored for about a week or two here that Chris Buescher was going to go to JTD Dollary Racing in a second car for that organization with a charter that was on lease from Roush Fenway Racing. It was made official on Tuesday uh, Chris Busher again, moving to his second team at JTG Daughter Racing. Uh, Busher spent last year with Front Row Motorsports. He made a chase, if you remember, with his win at Pocono. Um, what are your thoughts on Chris Busher moving to JTG Daughter Racing in 2017? Um, again, I think it's a lateral move. I mean, Front Row Motorsports is a team that's doing the best they can with the little bit of assets that they have. 
They were getting support from Roush Fenway. And what support they were getting, because Roush Fenway was a train wreck as it was. It's sort of the same thing with Ty Dillon going into the 13. Chris Buescher is a decent driver. He's going to be okay if he finds top-notch equipment. Right now, top-notch equipment's not available. And you think about, as we were talking about Ty Dillon, same thing with Chris Buescher, because JTG Doherty's aligned with Richard Childress Racing. Is Childress in the top five of teams? You've got Hendrick, you've got Penske, you've got Stuart Haas, you've got Ganassi ahead of them because both of their drivers were in the chase, and then you've got Joe Gibbs Racing. Then you're talking Childress, Roush, Fenway. So they're not even in top five team stuff, and they are satellites of, like, the sixth best team. So you're looking at teams that are hoping to get top 20, top 25. I mean, Chris Buescher... God bless him. The rain gave him a win and got him in the chase this year, but he was terrible all year because Front Row Motorsports doesn't have the budget. They don't have the equipment. He may get better stuff at JTG Doherty, but where are they going to get these cars from? They're going to have to build brand-new cars at Childress, and they hope to have enough chassis ready for it because they've got to build new chassis for the 13 team. So you don't know what you're going to end up getting. I don't understand, to me, Jack Roush, Mr. Ford, the Blue Oval himself, leasing his guy to a Chevy team. I don't get that move one bit, especially leasing the starter to a Chevy team. Yeah, here's my uh, assessment on this. And and Chris Buescher, obviously, like we mentioned, he he ran for Rookie of the Year last year, won a race, got to the chase, did a very good job. Um, But, again, you mentioned Front Row Motorsports. That's a team that – you know, is still working its way to be a one of the elite, elite teams in NASCAR. Uh, they don't have the resources to be an elite team in NASCAR right now. And I think Chris Buescher, uh, I think everybody thought when they got that deal last year with Furniture Racing and Rash Fenway, remember Bob Osborne was a crew chief. He was one of the key guys at Rash Fenway Racing. I think they thought the performance of that 34 car would improve a little bit. And they realized that it didn't. Um, and that Buescher, no matter what, would still be kind of a back marker. Here's an opportunity Jack for Jack Roush, who doesn't have sponsorship for that number 16 car. That's part of the reason why he's leasing his charter, so he can still hang on to it and say, hey, I still got the charter. I can still do what I want with it. If a, if a sponsor decides to come back, the team can bring Chris Buescher back and a sponsor. But what he ultimately wants, I believe, is Chris Buescher to run really well. Because if Chris Buescher runs really, really well this season, I think they're going to sit there and say, hey, listen, this kid can do it. He can drive. He can win races in the best equipment possible, and we can sell sponsorship for that number 16 car. Now, I also think Roush looked at it as a fact that this is an opportunity for them to go out there and consolidate their team, quit spending their resource, all their money on, on three teams, and kind of put it to two teams, put all their resources into two teams, get their cars running better, get their car, cars figured out, get what's going on figured out. Remember, they made some some – uh, internal moves to their organization. Robbie Roger was let go last week. They announced Kevin Kidd will take over as director, director of competition. Nick Sandler, who was Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s crew chief, takes over as the hen, head of engineering. So they've made some internal changes. I think they're going to try to kind of go more towards the engineering role. They're bringing in younger, fresher blood, um, which which Jack, if you looked at it, you know, he had, he had Robbie Roger, who was, who was a veteran. 
uh, Jimmy Fennick, who's still in that organization, who's, who's a veteran. They kind of some Bob Osborne. They kind of had some old blood there. Jack himself, even. They kind of had some old blood there, and I think they're just kind of weaning that out now and bringing in the new blood. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But um, I'm curious to see how this is going to go, John, in 2017, because if you're JGG Daughtery Racing, are you going to let Chris Buescher in the competition meetings and let him know your secrets and what's going on with that race team? If, and if he runs good and performs, he's probably going to go back to, to Rosh Fenway in 2018 and tell them all your secrets and what you've been doing. So that, that should be an, inter- that's an interesting aspect to this deal there as well. To be honest with you, I don't. I mean, I don't know how Roush Fenway is going to keep going much longer. Again, we've talked about it many a times. You look at the ownership across NASCAR; most of them are in their 60s and 70s. Jack's one of those guys in his 70s. He's not a young pup. His, like you said, he's just finally brought new blood in. They've been off for five years. The reason Matt Kenseth left wasn't because. Joe Gibbs gave him such a great offer. Matt Kenseth left. There was no sponsorship on that 17 car. He was getting the scraps from everybody else. And they weren't competitive because they put all their money into Carl Edwards. Carl leaves. You're thinking, okay, we're gonna re- we've lost all this money. We had to pay in contract to Carl. But they also they didn't lose any sponsorship out of it. They just everything consolidated into the three cars. They, the 99 went away. They were supposed to consolidate all that money into the three cars, and they've still been a train wreck. And Biffle, God bless him, he tried and kept being the flag bearer and kept pushing and kept trying. And I think Roush Fenway is close to being done. They have not provided any kind of competitive cars. They have the same engines that Penske has. Mm-hmm. And Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano are chase-bound every year and you don't see anything from Roush Fenway. They are 15th to 20th most races. Every now and then they'll take a flyer. Biffle would have a good race, or Bain would have a good race, or Stenhouse would have a good race. But that was like once every seven or eight races instead of every week they're fighting for a top ten. They've consolidated everything themselves. You look back, the first year they ran the chase, Roush had five cars, of the 10 in the chase. Mm. And now he's down to two cars with young drivers, and neither of them have really proven themselves at the Premier Series level. Stenhouse won two Xfinity championships, but they haven't. neither Trevor Bain or Stenhouse have really proven themselves at this level. You're reorganizing You're right. with two drivers that are mediocre. And you have Busher who backed into a win. I mean, not. I mean, a win's a win, but Mother Nature won it for him, and hasn't really proven himself at the Cup level. Look at what Jack's done in the Xfinity Series. Bubba Wallace is running with no sponsorship. Jack puts Ford on there most of the time, but Bubba Wallace doesn't really have any sponsorship. He didn't really have much sponsorship on Biffle this year. Ortho backed out of a contract that they had. So he got some with KFC, some with um, Cheez-Its. But a lot of times, Ford EcoBoost was on Biffle's car. That means there's no Mm -hmm. sponsor for that race. 
Jack just doesn't paint the car white. He gives Ford the thing for saying, hey, I've been a Ford guy all these lot, all these years. I'll put Ford EcoBoost on there. Ralph Fenway's been having sponsor problems for a long time, and I don't think it's going to get any better. They announced a new sponsor today, ironically, believe it or not. Uh, Ford Trevor Vane's car, Atlanta Motor Speedway, and then a, a major associate, uh, Liberty Life Insurance, I believe is what it, what the sponsorship was for um, – Trevor Bain, Liberty National Life Insurance, excuse me, for Trevor Bain. So that was a positive in the right direction for that team. But ultimately, you're right, they've struggled. I think if they stayed status quo, doing what they were doing, I don't think you would have seen this team improve either. So I think it's sort of going down swinging. If you're going to go down, why not try something and go down swinging? Um, and I, that's where I like that, because it's, instead of saying status quo saying, and, and being in your, set in your way, saying, no, no, we know we have the right people, say, you know what, maybe it is something that, we, that, we, that I don't see on the inside. Maybe we do need to shake some major things up, and they have. There's a there's an aspect to this I really don't like, and, and you mentioned Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I like Stenhouse. I think Stenhouse and the right equipment could be a winner in the Cup Series. Um, but they they also announced, and I, I told you earlier that Nick Sandler was taking over as the head of engineering for that for Rush Center Racing. That left Ricky Stenhouse Jr. without a crew chief. And Stenhouse will now have Brian Patty as a crew chief. Patty worked with Greg Biffle last season. He came over from Michael Walter Bracing the year before. Um, but that that doesn't matter to me as much as this is Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s fourth crew chief in five years in that 17 car. He started off with Scott Graves. I thought he had a pretty good year there. They replaced him with Mike Kelly. Then it was then it was uh, Nick Sandler, like we said, and now it's Brian Patty. Um, I like a a you know some to me the most important thing is. It's a communication between a driver and a crew chief, and it's hard to figure that out when you change your crew chief every year. And, again, I like Stenhouse. I think he's a very good driver, and I'm sure he's there for multiple years. But you can't keep changing the kid's crew chief because I just think that it's kind of like almost starting over again. And I just don't like that from that standpoint. So, you know, I'm kind of on board with what Rash is doing because I understand where they're coming from. But I really don't like that they changed Stenhouse's crew chief. And I know – you know, again, engineering is where they want to go, and Sandler's an engineer. But maybe you could have brought somebody else from outside the organization in there and kept Sandler with Stenhouse because I don't like the fact that they've changed the crew chief. Now, a side note, Mike Kelly, who we won the championships with in the Xfinity Series, is the car chief there still on that 17 car. So maybe that has something to do with it where they sit there and they say, well, one of the premier guys on that team is Mike Kelly, and Mike Kelly can kind of discuss what's going on with the race car with Brian Patty. He's a little confused. And they know each other, so the communication will be, still be okay in the pit box. That is a, that is a, a legit thing, um, but that's something I don't like in there as well. But keep this in mind, John. You mentioned a great point before about Team Penske having their same engines. They do, and so will Stuart Haas next year. Stuart Haas is a team who's beaten who's beaten out Roush Fender Racing the last four or five years with different engines. Now they're going to be running the same engines, so that's four more teams that you won't have at least a horsepower advantage on coming to 2017, so that's another thing to keep in mind, where maybe you could beat these guys out by their engines, but you're not going to be able to do that next year because they're going to have the same engines as you. As I look at it, Brian Patty is a proven crew chief, but like you said with Stenhouse, four crew chiefs, five years. You look at some of the great drivers in this series, Jimmy Johnson has had one crew chief, Chad Knauss, the whole time he's been in the series. The first 10 years, Tony Stewart had Greg Zipidelli. And then the next four years, he had um, 
Grubb. Whenever Stewart started switching crew chiefs is whenever he started going downhill. You look at Kyle Busch. Him and Adam Stevens were phenomenal in Xfinity. He went through a couple crew chiefs. Now he's had Adam Stevens on the box for three straight years, and he's been phenomenal. Or two straight years. Adam Stevens just took over last year. Right, right. Kenseth, he he did great with Robbie Reiser on the box. When Robbie got off the box, Kenseth struggled at um, Roush Fenway. Jeff Gordon was great with Ray Everham. And then whenever they started flipping crew chiefs around, it wasn't good. I mean, crew chief driver combos do work. And when you start playing musical chairs with the crew chiefs, your driver starts to struggle because it's a new guy in his head doing new things to the car that that driver's not used to. Yeah, and again, I think maybe Roush thinks that having Mike Kelly, who really knows Stenhouse, again, he won a championship with Mike Kelly, who really knows him and says, this is, hey, this is what Ricky means when you're sitting there on a pit box during a race. Hey, this is what Ricky means when he says this. This is what Ricky means when he says that. Um, and having two brains up there that are really, really smart, I think the world of Mike Kelly, I think the world of Brian Patty, like you said, might help that 17 car. But I just think, again, you mentioned the crew chief and driver combination. I think it's essential in NASCAR, and they can't keep switching it up like they've been doing. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on as well for 2017. Again, I like Stenhouse. I think he can win races in the right stuff. But four crew chiefs in five years is, is a bit much. And I hope, you know, Brian Patty's here for three or four years so they can kind of get a little bit and see what Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is all about because every time he seems to get a good rapport with these crew chiefs, they seem to change on him. There's other news, not news I shouldn't say, but I guess you can sort of say the lack of it. And we'll look towards the future here, John, about charters and, and what teams have them and what uh, what news we've seen from these teams here. Uh, basically, right now, I think there's five teams in the Cup Series who co- sort of have their plans up in the air. Um, the 15 car, which Clint Boyer ran last year for H. Scott Motorsports, that's a team that's up in the air. Harry Scott sounded like he was going to sell his charter in front of a racing in the number 77 car that Eric Jones is driving this year. But we haven't heard an announcement yet, and you have to wonder what's going on there. Clint Boyer just uh, it was just reported this week that Clint Boyer is suing H. Scott Motorsports for missed payments. So that can't be good for that team. You have to wonder if that team's shutting down. Where's that charter going to go? That's a good question. The 32 car at front at uh, excuse me, Go Fast Racing, um, they sounded like they wanted to align with a bigger organization. I believe it was FrenchStress.com right after Homestead announced that they were still looking to kind of put some stuff together and, and maybe have one or two drivers in that car next season. Now I hear they may sell their charter uh, and maybe move to the Xfinity Series. Also, the 34 car there without a driver for 2017. The 44, I haven't heard anything about. Uh, it seems like, uh, excuse me, I've heard a lot about it. It's just one day it's shutting down, the next it's running with, with a dip, name a different driver this this day that's in the 44. So I don't know if they have any idea what they're doing here for 2017. And the 98, I heard this, a rumor this week that Jay Robinson said he could run as many as zero charters this year or have as many as two charters. So a lot still up in the air, John Harlow, as we get ready. You know, Daytona's only 88 days away. You're going to have to pack here for Daytona probably in 77 days. When you think about that and you put it into a week's perspective, 11 weeks, you've got to figure this thing out, John, and figure out what you're going to do uh, because Daytona's probably 11 weeks away. I was listening to uh, Jim and Chocolate this afternoon on uh, trade and paint, and one of the things that 
talking to Lee Spencer, asking about the charters, and uh, Lee got cut off. But Jim and Chocolate were both basically asking, is the charter really worth anything right now? Because these charters were supposed to be a fallback, so if an owner got out, they weren't selling their equipment dollar and just hoping to get something somebody could release or drop or something. Here we are, you're in the charter system and it seems almost like there's four or five charters out there that are at pennies on the dollar. I mean the reason H. Scott Motorsports hasn't sold their charter to uh the seventy seven yet is because Clint Boyer has an injunction on them that says you can't liquidate anything until I get paid. Until the suit goes Yeah, that's a good that charter may be sitting in complete limbo. Yeah, for sure. 917-889-8280 if you want to join a conversation here on Talking Circles. Like this next person, what's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Lee in Virginia. Hi, Lee. What do you want to discuss tonight? Well, we'll talk about these charters. I mean, John, I think that's a great point. Are they really worth something? You know, you sit down and you, you, you put your entry list down right now, your preliminary entry list for the Daytona 500, and I have 39 race cars right now, and that includes the number 16 car or whatever, or the 99 of what Ryan Reed may or may not run in the, in the Daytona 500. Um, mm-hmm. So that leaves you at 38 full-time teams, including the 98 from Premium Motorsports. I mean, do you even really need a charter at this point? You know, with the 32 selling and most likely going to the Wood Brothers and then the 77 taking the one from the 15, do you even really need a charter at this point? Do you really need one? I mean, why would I ante up and spend a ton of money on a charter when I could just run without one? Now, the extra money from the TV deal, it is still beneficial to get one, but there certainly is a price range that you got to hit where, you know, okay, at this point it's no longer beneficial. And I know for a fact that these owners did not want that price to be the price of their charters. They wanted them to be worth a heck of a lot more than that. And, you know, right now that's just not what they're worth because we don't have enough teams to field cars. Field cars. But there are plenty of chassis out there. You know, the 32 has chassis. Tommy Bowling Racing has chassis. Uh, you know, the the, uh, the the H. Scott Motorsports team has chassis. So there's plenty of chassis out there. It's just that none of them are very competitive. And you need an alliance to keep working. And right now Hendrick Motorsports doesn't seem to want an alliance with anybody to go forward. So it's very difficult. Uh, it's a very difficult uh, ground to walk on right now. 917-889-8280 if you want to join a conversation on Talking Circles, like Lee in Virginia. Lee, bring up some good points there. Um, I think right now there's too many, there's, there's uh, more charters than there are teams that want them. I think if you're a team like Tommy Baldwin Racing, you're kind of seeing how this plays out because, like you said, if you're going to make every race, why not come down, even if you have to start and park? You know, if an owner, a new owner wants to come in and say, I'm going to take Tommy Baldwin's old charters, or old chassis, excuse me, and buy this, basically his team, and we're going to run as best we can, but we're going to start in park because we don't have the funding to do it. And with the, um, with no charters, we're not making as much money as the other teams do, we'll just come in and we'll start in park. And that's kind of what they'll, you know, you'll see starting parks again, which was a, which was a, a something that we saw commonly five, ten years ago and it's kind of gone away because of the point system and, and the eco- economics have picked up a little bit. But I think that's a, a very big option, especially if you're a guy like Tommy Baldwin, you're like, well, I sold my charter, made my made extra money off of it, 
And now I can kind of run without it and just, if my, you know, tear my, even if I tear my chassis up, I'm not building any new race cars. I'll just run until I don't have anything left. Um, it doesn't really matter how competitive I am because I'm not going to miss races because there's only 40 teams coming down. That's something to keep in mind very much, John Harlow, as we move forward here with these with these charter announcements and, and some and as we move forward in the silly season. Well, the one thing with Tommy Baldwin, though, I mean, you saw whenever he was starting parking some, he would run two-thirds of the races and especially put all of his eggs in the uh, restrictor plate basket. But Tommy Baldwin, when he parked, he hated it. And it was survival for him at that point. I think he was the smart one who sold his charter before the season was even over to somebody who needed it right then. And uh, Michael McDowell's got a sponsor coming into the 95, and they needed a charter to get the sponsor locked in. Tommy Baldwin was pretty smart. If I'm someone like – the one I'm looking at is you look at the Jeremy Clements. You look at the Ryan Siegs down in the Xfinity Series. They're running the whole whole series – and they're running against all the cup guys, and they're 15th to 20th in points, or like Clement, he just missed the chase. But you're making half the money, if that, than you would to start and park in the cup series. Why not throw your eggs in the basket, build a couple cup chassis, and go for it there, make more money, build your team up that way, because you're not going to make it in the Xfinity series? No, it's a good question. Especially because you're running against cup guys anyway, like you mentioned. Um nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. It's gonna be a very interesting December, no doubt about it. I think if you're a fan of, of silly season and a fan of these uh teams that run sort of I guess you can call them backmarker teams or teams that are a little bit low budgeted a lot less budgeted than uh uh Hendrick Motorsports or something like that. If you're a fan of those teams, pay attention to this in December and into January because I don't think we're gonna see a solution to this until maybe even the middle of January by the time we get really, and we get really close to the Daytona 500. Uh, speaking of Daytona, guys, there was a, an interesting announcement today. Um, the clash is back, I guess you can say. Um, NASCAR announced this week, or today, excuse me, that uh, the Sprint Unlimited has been renamed the Clash at Daytona. Now, if you remember the correctly, the Sprint Unlimited used to be called what was the Budweiser Shootout, and before that, the Budweiser Shootout was called the Bush Clash. So the Clash at Daytona is kind of an old-school field. Chip Lilly, who is the, now the new president at Daytona International Speedway, used to be the president at Darlington, and he created the Throwback Weekend, which has been a huge success for that organization, uh, racetrack, and NASCAR. So now he kind of sits there and throws in the Clash at Daytona, which is a sort of a history, you know, get the old-school fan kind of back into Daytona. The names changed. I, I like that, but my favorite thing is the eligibility rule, which now NASCAR said, "Listen, there's 20 drivers eligible, but if those 20 drivers can't find, if one of those 20 drivers can't find a ride, we will not replace them. They will either find a ride, we will not replace them." Last year, they had to have they had to have a minimum of 20 cars in this race, and it was just a disaster. And I thought it was very frustrating. We saw teams that. We're way back in owner points getting into what was supposed to be a prestige event, prestigious event, and it, to me it was kind of pointless to go out there and run. Now they've taken that away, and I like that a lot. We're going to see uh, past or the 2016 pole winners, past clash winners, past the 2500 pole sitters, and 2016 chase drivers. 20 drivers eligible. Greg Biffle, Alex Bowman, and Tony Stewart are eligible. 
but they don't have rides. Tony Stewart's obviously retiring. Boyer and Biffle right now do not have rides. What are your thoughts here, John Harlow, before I go to Lee, on you, this whole uh, the clash at Daytona deal? I I like the 25-25, the two segments, the way they're going to do it. I do like that. It reminds I mean, if you remember the first time they ran the Bush Clash, it was a freaking 10-lap shootout. And you couldn't even do 10 laps now and get a pile together. I mean, it just – but you need the 25 laps to do something with it. I think it's going to be okay, but if you think about it, the Clash of Daytona, it's just a placeholder until – it's the Monster Energy Clash or something like that. It's just a it's a placeholder for right now, and they had to announce it because it's quiet. They got to do something. They're not going to do anything about title sponsor until they get through the banquet, and with everybody screaming and hollering, who's going to be the title sponsor? Yada yada yada. NASCAR figured they had to announce something to get the people off their backs, so they decided to announce the Clash at Daytona, and it's just a placeholder. Yeah, you're right, and Lee. Um, what are your thoughts here on this? Obviously, John brought up a lot of good points there. Um, we still don't know a title sponsor for this series. And that's what I found interesting was there is no title sponsor for this for this series. Um, and I think the team owners, we've seen teams back out of this race in recent years. I remember A.J. Allmendinger, I think it was last year, and he, maybe even the year before, backed out of this race with JTD Dollary Racing because of the fact that they didn't want to tear up a race car and the race didn't pay enough to be in it. Uh, I think the owners kind of sat there and said, listen, you can keep the purse the same way, but don't make it 20 drivers, all, you know, 20 drivers no matter what, 20 owners no matter what, because then if you keep the purse the same way, the this distribution between money won't, you know, it's a lot better for us to make money when only 17 teams are getting paid instead of 20 teams getting paid. Uh, do you think that had anything to do with this? Did the owners have anything to do with this rule? And, and what are your thoughts on this whole clash deal at Daytona? Well, remember it was 25, and NASCAR and the teams had 25. And NASCAR told them, you know, there had to be 25 cars no matter what. Um, AJ did run this race last season, but you're right, a lot of teams did pull out because there was just not enough sponsors and, and to go around, and a lot of teams just said, you know what, we don't want to be here. One of the teams that I'm looking at that, that to me, um, you know, is the 13 car of Jermaine Racing and Geico and, and what was Casey Mears, now it's Ty Dillon's car, Um they're not eligible for this race this year. Last year they got in because a lot of drivers withdrew, and um, they're not eligible this year. So, to me, if they could hire Alex Bowman or Greg Biffle and get into that race um, and, and run it, and so if they if they really feel like they they want to run that race and want to please Geico and, and they think that they can run up front with it, I I think you could absolutely see that happening. Whether it's whether it's Alex Bowman in the five car for Casey Kane or whether it's somebody else, you know, Greg Biffle maybe in the 13, something like that. I think we've seen that in the past. I think that's going to happen. But to answer your question, Clay, I think absolutely. Um, you know, now you're paying seven less teams with 17 drivers in there and 17 teams in there rather than the standard 25 that they had a couple of years ago. Yeah, and that's the thing. I don't, I don't think we're going to see a, you know, you might see a team field an, an extra entry. I doubt it for the, for the uh, clash, I guess you call it. I doubt you see a team do that without going to the Daytona 500. Maybe Biffle would want to do it for Front Row Motorsports, a third team there. I doubt that. Maybe he'll he'll do it just for the plate races. So maybe you'll see an extra team there. But 17 teams, it's, it's a pretty decent number. And I'll give you the 17 drivers here really quick that we have that have a ride and are eligible for the 500, are eligible for this clash at Daytona. Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, Austin Dillon, Carl Edwards, 
Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Martin Trix Jr., Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, Matt Kenseth, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr. via his past race winner, Danica Patrick via her Daytona 500 pole, and then three trace drivers not already into the field, Kyle Larson, Jim McMurray, and Chris Buescher, who's running a, obviously a second car for JTG this year, he's eligible as well. And there's three drivers, like we mentioned, who are eligible but without rides. Biffle, Alex Bowman, and we're not going to see Tony Stewart down, but he is eligible, but he will retire. So at most, we're going to see 19 cars, which is a good thing. I think 25, like I mentioned, um, was way too many. I thought it was kind of a, a gimmick, a mockery of, of this race. 19 is good. It still means something to win a pole now. You know, you wouldn't have seen uh, some of these teams in this race if they hadn't won a pole. Um, it means something to win a Daytona 500 pole. It means something to win this race again. If, if you know, you're not a chase driver and, and you had t- kind of a tough year, you're a guy like Ryan Newman who maybe could have won this race last year, you would have been, been in it this year. So, absolutely, I think um, this is a better way of going about it, no doubt about it. I think it, it also, like, like we said, it helps the teams a little bit more. It makes it more financial sense for the team to have less teams in the field. I think that's huge uh, for this race and for that moving forward. Um, as far as the, the, the uh, segments go, and John mentioned he likes it. He likes the 225-lap segment. I think it's okay. I, I would like to see a race without, a, without strategy personally. I would like to see one 30-lap race go out there and make it a clash. Say, you know what, we're not going to put pit crews. We're not going to make any strategy. Just go out there and race. And I think it would be pretty awesome. Um, personally, I, I'd like to see that. And I'd also like to see, I don't know how to do this. I was trying to think about this before. Make the clash and the duels kind of coincide with one another to where maybe you make something to where the clash and the duels, um, you know, like I said, coincide where it, it, if you run in the duel, you can somehow get in a clash or, or something like that. Because I just think two preliminary events for the Daytona 500, the, these owners are eventually going to say, we're not sure we want to run two events and preliminary events to the Daytona 500 because we have a better chance of tearing up our race car, and those races don't pay a lot. And I would like to see both races stay. But I think the owners are going to sit there and say, eh, we'll lose one of them. I don't know what race that's going to be. Probably the duels. But I would like to see something like that if I had to make some, some strategy changes to this race. Maybe a 30-lap race. Maybe make this, those two races coincide with each other. I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, what are your thoughts, Lee, uh, on that before we wrap up here? With the clash, well, I think there's going to have definitely not, no question. NASCAR is going to have to figure out something to do because you're right; they're not going to want to run two preliminary races. But here's the thing: as long as these races keep making money, there's no question uh, they'll still be around. And I, and we're all starving so much for NASCAR once Daytona rolls around that we'll watch whatever's on the track. So I think they're here to stay just because um, you know they're making money for NASCAR, even if the teams don't want to be in it. There's, there's always going to be those teams that are going to be able to find the funding to do it, the big teams, and you just won't see the little teams in it. For sure. And John Harlow, is there any, uh, you know, you mentioned you like the two 25-lap segments. I don't think they're bad. I think we've seen way worse formats of, of races before. But are there any other format changes you'd like to see with these duels that kind of are with these uh, with this clash at Daytona that maybe would help spice this race up a little bit? I'd like to see it all, only green flag laps count, and the only time you can pit is the gap between the 25 laps. That's what I, I mean. That'd be cool. Only green flag laps count, so that way you're not sitting there 
riding around under yellow because there's going to be a pileup. You're restrictor plate racing, so there's bound to be a pileup at some point, and that'll be a 15 laps worth of caution. Just make it all green flag laps count, and the only time you can pit is in the between the 25 lap segments, and it's not a 15 minute break in between. It's a gas or do your regular pit stop, make your strategy, and go from there. I mean, that's interesting. 9178-98280 to join the conversation here in Talking Circles tonight, um, here in the last 10 minutes of the show. You know, and I talked about finances with Lee and with you, John, tonight about this race. I think if you take the pit crews out of it completely, then you don't have to pay your pit crew guys to be there. Um, and I think if you do, you make that race short enough to where you don't have to pit, you don't have to pit for tires, I think it's another advantage for these owners to keep this race alive and keep this race fresh. You know, the problem is they're going to say, well, then we can't, you know, it's hard to sell tickets for a 30-lap race. They're correct, but you can put something in front of it. You can kind of make maybe an autograph session for Daytona. Do something, but be creative and make that a, a day that's profitable, profitable for Daytona and for the fans to come to Daytona that day at the racetrack. Okay, guys, 2017, like I mentioned, it's 88 days. Talked about, you know, we're probably about 11 weeks from loading up and going to Daytona. Um, 2017, as we look ahead sort of in our crystal ball here, and I'm going to ask you guys a lot of these questions as the offseason goes on because, obviously, um, let's try and predict and have some fun. But here's here's my first question, and I'll, I'll pose it to John first. Um, 2017 is a key season for a couple of drivers in, in NASCAR. I can think of a couple of them off of my head. Who do you think, John, needs to have a great 2017 to either save their careers or uh, help kind of revamp their career? Who do you think needs to have a big 2017 uh, for them to really help their career out? Well, the first and only name that comes to my mind who has to have a great year is Casey Kane. He's running the same stuff that Junior's running, the same stuff Jimmy Johnson's running, the same stuff that Chase Elliott's running. And for some reason, there's always one team at Hendrick Motorsports that's always crapped the bed. It always almost seems like there's an R&D team, and Casey Kane just happens to be it for this time. Chase Elliott came in as a rookie, makes a chase. Junior was on his way to the chase until his concussion, and when Alex Bowman hopped in that car, he ran really well in it. Jimmy Johnson won his seventh championship. Casey Kane has to be looking in the rearview mirror and see William Byron sitting there at Junior Motorsports and know that's the kid who's going to take his ride if he doesn't step it up. Because if that's the case, then Byron will sit and wait for Junior to retire. But Casey Kane's the one, without a doubt, who's got to step it up Mm. for 2017. Yeah, listen, that's a great name for sure. I think there's other drivers out there. Lee, uh, do you agree with John? you think Casey Kane is, is the guy for you to look at for 2017 and say, I think he needs to have a good year? Or, or can you mention a couple other names for us uh, that you well, think he have a good 2017? He's right, about, he's right about Casey Kane, but there's also at least two that I'm going to say here. One of them is Eric Amarola. Uh, you know, here's a guy who made a chase a couple of years ago. Smithfield wasn't too thrilled with how the performance was this year, and I heard there was a couple of times where they were looking to go elsewhere this season, um, they seem like they're going to stay around with Eric Amarola next year in Richard Petty Motorsports. And, you know, we don't know how good that team is going to be. We don't know who his teammate's going to be yet. From what I'm hearing, it could be somebody who is very inexperienced. And if that's the case, um, I don't know how much you can legitimately expect from them. But I think Smithfield, in order for Smithfield to stay around, they're going to have to either compete for a chase or make the chase. And I don't know if they're going to do that with Eric Amarola. 
And here's another one that nobody's really looking at. And I'm going to say Kurt Busch, and here's the reason. Monster Energy is probably going to become the series sponsor on Monday. That's the announcement, that's the scuttlebutt, and they're thinking the announcement will be made on Monday. Um, and if that's the case, I think they'll stick with Kurt for this year. But uh, they may they may leave Kurt after this season and go elsewhere. And from what I'm hearing, Gene Haas is very interested in bringing in Kyle Larson. If he can get out of that deal with Chip Ganassi Racing, which I think it's up after this season, um, you know, Kurt Busch better perform well and, and prove that he can still win championships and compete for championships because if he doesn't, I know for a fact Gene Haas wants to pull Kyle Larson into, that, into the SHR fold and make him a part of their team in 2018. Well, yeah, Gene Haas is the only one who wants to put Kyle Larson in the fold. Tony Stewart wanted Kyle Larson in the 14 car this year. That was his first mm-hmm. choice without a doubt, and they just couldn't get him out of the contract. So that's how Boyer wound up being the selection because Stewart wanted Larson to take the 14 car. And also, Gene Haas is the sponsor of that team as well on the 41. Mm -hmm. So that's double whammy there. He's going to get what he wants. If you remember remember what happens, how Bush even got into Stuart Haas racing, Gene Haas, who's the money guy, kind of went over Tony Stewart's head and said, I like Kurt Bush. He's a very good driver. We're going to bring him in here. And it kind of surprised Tony Stewart because, you know, the rumors were, hey, we have a three-car team. They were kind of okay with that. And all of a sudden, Kurt Busch was announced as driver, and Tony was almost taken back and shocked by that because Gene Haas kind of went over his head and did it. So it's Tony was in a hospital bed that, when that happened. Right. So I think he kind of surprised, it really surprised them for that. Um, listen, there's a, there's a, that's what I love about, about racing is um, you still need to perform. Uh, and I think a guy who a lot of people aren't talking about and is Michael McDowell. And, listen, I was singing his praises this year. I think Michael McDowell had a really – Really solid year this year in that 95 car. He only ran, he missed five races this year because they put Ty Dillon in the 95 car. But this is his first real full-time ride in the Cup Series in 2017. They got Todd Parrott as a crew chief, like you mentioned earlier, John, on that 95 team. He's a great crew chief. He's won championships in this sport. Uh, He's won the 2500s in this sport. And McDowell's looked at as a guy who hasn't had too much success yet. He started to park a lot in his career, has taken his lumps, no doubt about it. When he first got in the, in the Cup Series, it looked like it could have been a disaster. It blew up in everybody's face. You know, he had a couple of, of curious accidents. Um, I remember one in particular at Watkins Glen that, that you could argue was caused by him, and it was a scary accident. But he's really figured it out in the Cup Series. Again, this year I was very, very impressed with what I've seen from him. Dave Winston, I thought, did a great job with that team. Well, when they hired Todd Parrott, a guy who's got a proven track record, very smart, it brought the team to another level. And I think with this, Michael McDowell has an opportunity. He doesn't need to make the chase this year, but be competitive. Show that you're a cup driver and you can compete with these cup drivers on a weekly basis. And if he can do that, I think that's huge. Um, another guy, Landon Castle, I think Landon Castle – I think everybody knows Lennon Castle can drive, but if he's a tough year this year and rides open up, he's not going to be a guy who's looked at as somebody who can replace them. But if he has a solid year in that 38 car and something else comes up that's a little bit better, maybe he'll take that ride and be mentioned into that. So those are two guys, I think, that are kind of towards the back end of the field that not a lot of people pay attention to that also need to have a big 2017 as well. Um, John, is there anybody we're forgetting here? Oh, here's two guys I just thought of as we were talking about it. Denny Hamlin 
and Matt Kenseth. Between the two of them, also Carl Edwards, any of the three of them, whoever has the crappiest year may be out because I believe all three of them are up at the end of this year. And Eric Jones is on a one-year lease to Furniture Row. Put Eric Jones in a Joe Gibbs racing car. So one of those three guys, if they have a crap season this year, could be out and Eric Jones could be in that car. That's a very good point, John, and something I think a lot of people forget about and overlook with that 77 car is that Eric Jones is there on a one-year deal, and it and so not only that, wants to bring him they into his own fold. And, and Lee, uh, you mentioned a great point about Eric Amarola before. Uh, but do you have any thoughts on, on Eric Jones or any other drivers out there? Yeah, not only that, uh, Eric, Eric Jones, or they want to bring Daniel Suarez to cup racing in 2018 because mm-hmm. if he doesn't, somebody else will. And so they're going to need to open up that seat, the 77 at Furniture Row for him. Um, and so I think that uh, John makes a good point there with one of the guys from, from uh, Joga's Racing. I just have a feeling it's going to be Denny Hamlin. I just think that, you know, he, I think he's the guy that's going to be out of there at Gibbs, but he does need to, they do need good seasons. And the fact that it doesn't have a year where, you know, he runs really strong, people may question the fact that he's going to be 45 years old and may question his age. And, and he doesn't have much sponsorship. I mean, maybe there's a deal in the works that we haven't heard yet, but he lost Dollar General. Uh, D-Walt's there for a few races this year. I think 15, I believe, is the number. But other than that, they don't really have much sponsorship on that 20 car. And if Matt doesn't perform, it could you could sit there and go, well, maybe five-hour energy will go in with Eric Jones to that 20 car and fill out the rest of the schedule. Matt's kind of out of the fold. Bring in Eric, uh, Daniel Suarez, who's got RS, and the guy's a billionaire who backs him from Mexico, loves Daniel Suarez, Bring him into that 77 car. They'll fund, the RS will fund that 77 car, and you can kind of see it go that way as well. So, listen, I, I agree with you guys. I think um, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's somebody taking your ride or there's not enough sponsorship or just to simply prove yourself in Cup, I think there's a lot, for sure, a lot riding on 2017 for a lot of drivers. Um, but, you know, a, a great point, guys, there. Great points there, guys, um, for 2017. Lee, uh, thanks so much for the call. You're always a, a treat to have on, and uh, please call back next week to discuss more off-season news for us. Of course. Thanks, Lee. Um, John, I want to get your final thought here uh, as we get ready. Uh, the off-season, you know, we're kind of getting into December. Uh, last minute of the show here, what are your final thoughts? What are you looking forward to here uh, in December? couple of the big questions I'm looking for is who's going to sponsor the 14 car? Is there going to be more sponsorship showing up on the 20 car? And what will happen with the Clint Boyer H. Scott Motorsports lawsuit? That's big news. More than anybody can ever imagine, that's big news because that's going to hold up a charter until that gets through the court system. You're right, and that is something that, uh, you know, we don't know what's going on. How about the 33 team? Uh, well, we call it a 33 team, but Circle Sport. You know, who had a charter deal with the 95 car. They kind of broke off, and they have a charter just sitting there, and we're not really sure what's going on. I didn't even mention them earlier before. That's my bad. Uh, but another team that has a charter, maybe they're going to look to sell. Maybe they're looking to combine with another organization, something to keep your eye on as the offseason moves forward. Lee and Virginia, great call tonight again. Uh, we thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles. John Harlow, you do a great job. Uh, if you want to read more from John Harlow, go to speedwaymedia.com. You can also click on the Talking in Circles link on speedwaymedia.com. It'll bring you to all our shows. We'll be back here next week 
on Talking in Circles. We'll talk about more off-season news. Good night, everybody. <laughs>